Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Warriors. Can you believe that we're getting ready to wrap up this dumpster fire of a year? Holy moly. If you would have told me a year ago that we were going to have to quarantine at home for a few months while working with a bunch of toddlers, I'd be like, "Mm -mm, no, no, that's not happening. What are you talking about? (laughs) And boy, would the joke be on me. And when your four-year-old walks into a room shouting, I know why I'm not in gymnastics anymore, and she proceeds to tell you, clearly it's because of the coronavirus, you know, things just got real. Well, for anyone who's joining me for the first time, I am your host, Margot, and this is not a mom podcast where I chat about my toddlers all day long. This is actually a true crime podcast where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But listen, don't worry. You don't have to know anything about the military to listen. I promise you just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, Welcome home. Now, to get our minds off of the craziness that is 2020, let's chat about our Australian friends. Now, you know that I love me a good international case. And I want to thank one of my Australian listeners who is going to remain anonymous for recommending this case. Today, I will discuss a seemingly normal Australian soldier by the name of Christopher Carter. He had one failed marriage, two teenage kids, and he was moving up in the ranks. And in fact, he had gotten picked up to be an instructor at the non-commissioned officer academy. When three days into his new assignment, he was arrested for a double murder. But this soldier had a tale to tell. Join me today as I discuss the double murder of Renee Kutch and Corey Croft. Now, let's dig in. My sources for today's case include articles by Gold Coast Bulletin, Brisbane Times, Australian News, The Mirror UK, ABC Australia, and a newscast by A Current Affair staff. Our story today takes place in Upper Coomera in the state of Queensland. Of course, having never visited Australia before, shame on me, I know, I had to figure out where exactly Upper Coomera was. And according to Wikipedia, it's a suburb in the city of Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. For those of you wondering, the country of Australia is broken up into six states, three internal territories and six external territories. Queensland is the northeastern state. Today's story takes place in January of 2015. On Skylark Street, there was a small one-story brick house with a two-car garage that housed a 40-something-year-old couple and their five-year-old son. The mom had two teenage children from a prior marriage, but they lived with their dad. And on January 20th, 2015, the five-year-old son of this couple woke up in a nightmare, like a literal nightmare. He found his mom and dad laying on the ground with blood all over their bodies. The little boy didn't know what to do. He wanted to leave the house to get help, but he couldn't leave through the front door because his father lay dead 
in front of the door and the boy was too small to move the man. The boy saw a knife laying near his mom and he grabbed it and instinctively put it in the sink. The little boy looked around, believing that his parents were playing a cruel joke on him, but they wouldn't wake up as he shook them. They just, they wouldn't stop the cruel joke. So the boy just waited and waited and waited. He ended up waiting on his own in this house for over 24 hours until finally someone came to his rescue. You see, this little boy's mother was 39-year-old Renee Kutch and his father was 43-year-old Corey Croft. Renee was clearly dead and so was Corey. And when Renee's sister attempted to make contact with Renee for hours without a response, actually, I think it was like over 24 hours, her sister went over to the house to check on Renee and company because it was so unlike Renee to not respond. But what she found instead was a scene out of a horror movie. I know that you guys have heard me say that phrase a ton throughout the podcast because that's the best description for walking into a complete horror movie. But more horrifying was the five-year-old little boy who was relieved to see someone finally come to help him. When the boy saw his aunt, he just kept asking, why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't someone come sooner? Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your cart and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. The woman dialed 000, which is the emergency number in Australia, to report the double murder. When the police arrived, they were also horrified. But they knew that the boy had likely been some sort of witness or that at minimum the clothes he was wearing could contain evidence. So they had the little boy remove his clothes and they placed him in this blue plastic forensic suit. There's a picture of this young boy sitting in his blue suit on the curb in front of his house 
chatting with an investigator and the picture is truly heartbreaking. He's freaking five years old and he sat with his dead parents. I mean, his murdered dead parents for 24 hours. Now, it's unknown if the little boy ate, if he used the bathroom, if he slept, if he watched TV. We know nothing. Police comb the scene for evidence and they discover that Renee had been struck with a knife approximately 10 times. She sustained stab wounds throughout her body and one of those blows severed her spine. Corey sustained five stab wounds to the neck and head. When the murder was discovered, people swarmed the neighborhood and Upper Kumara residents who were coming home from work, they stood around trying to figure out what was happening. And when the residents discovered what happened, the entire suburb of Upper Kumara was on edge. A double murderer was now on the loose. Nearby, police get wind that there appears to be remnants of a crime scene at a local public bathroom in Parkland on Rose Valley Drive, which is about a mile and some change from the crime scene. Police became aware of this newly discovered evidence when a worker had just gone into the restroom to clean it when he discovered the bloody clothing. Police also hear that a white boxy SUV vehicle was in the vicinity of the murder, specifically Skylark Street. And this description matches the vehicle driven by Army soldier Christopher Carter. Now, Carter drives a white 1999 Mitsubishi four-wheel drive. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Carter because that's the first time I, I name him during this actual episode. He's 36 years old and he had previously been married to, you guessed it, Renee, the murder victim. Renee and Carter had two kids, a daughter and a son, and the kids were either 16 and 17 at the time of the murder or 14 and 17. But for some reason, according to the Mirror UK, Carter had custody of the kids. Unknown when they separated or divorced, but Renee had now been with Corey, Corey, the other, the guy who was murdered, for at minimum six years because she conceived a little boy with Corey and he was the five-year-old little boy who discovered the bodies. Carter, the soldier, was a butcher by trade and a member of the Australian army at the time of this story. Carter had already served in the army for uh, close to 17 years, and he had achieved the rank of sergeant. And it just so happened that the week of the murder was Carter's first week at his new assignment. He had been assigned to be an instructor at the Warrant Officer and Non-Commissioned Officer Academy in Canungra in the Gold Coast hinterland. This was a prestigious assignment, as are most instructor positions in the military, regardless of what country you live in. And this academy was no different. The academy staff were highly regarded. They were high caliber people. And Canungra Barracks is also home to a few other prestigious schools, including the Officer Training Wing, and the Defense Force School of Intelligence. So, you know, we can assume you gotta be big cheese to instruct at the academy. But the interesting thing I found was that according to news reporting by Andrew Dubaridis, 10 years before the double murder, Carter had been deployed with the army to East Timor. After this deployment, Carter was, quote, deemed psychologically unsuitable for the Australian army after engaging in irrational behavior, quote, while he was deployed. Wait, what? You can't possibly be serious. Did you hear this? So it had been determined that Carter was psychologically unsuitable for the Australian army 
because of some irrational behavior while he was deployed, and this was 10 years earlier, but somehow this same guy who had these issues had been retained and he did so well that he decided to make that they decided to make him an instructor. But then it's crazy because he's allegedly then involved in this double murder. I know at least that's what the police suspected at the time. Now, listen, it's possible that Carter was having issues 10 years prior and that somehow he was able to either overcome those issues or that he was able to mask them in the military. And this is always possible as we have seen with many of the people that I discuss on this show. So anyway, that's where we are. And that is a little bit about Carter's background. Renee and Corey had only been living in the Skylark house, but I don't know, six or seven months before they were murdered there. And while the neighbors thought they were friendly, the boy was always seen outside playing. And for the holidays, they had the most festive house on the block with this giant blow up Santa on their front lawn. None of the neighbors had a suspect in mind when they learned about the double murder. But the police, the police had a suspect, the ex husband, Christopher Carter. Carter was stopped and arrested on Thursday, January 22nd, 2015. But the case would take nearly three years to see the inside of a court. All the while, Carter awaited trial while behind bars, never returning to be an instructor at the academy. I suspect that the fact that Carter's vehicle matched the description of a car seen near the crime scene And the fact that Carter and Renee had some beef going back many, many years. I suspect that those are the reasons why people honed in on Carter. Well, Carter was taken in for questioning when he was stopped and he made no qualms about it. Renee and Corey had been killed by him. As soon as he said that, Carter was then charged with double murder. But Carter was all the while building his defense, stating, yes, I killed them. but." It was in self-defense. The Crown, which is the prosecution in Australia, so the prosecutor, Glenn Cash QC, however, he didn't believe Carter's story about self-defense and they pressed with the double murder charges, believing that the crime scene spoke for itself. Carter had no reason to be at the house. And even if he did, the resulting fatal wounds, 10 stab wounds to Renee, and five to Corey, that seemed a little excessive for self-defense. The trial, though, would take years to come to fruition, and it eventually began in November of 2017 in Brisbane and was expected to last two weeks. At trial, the prosecution presented all the evidence. They presented the photos of the crime scene, the photos of the two deceased victims, images of the knife, images of the bloody clothes discovered at the nearby park. I'm assuming that DNA on the bloody clothes were from the victims, although it has never been made clear from the articles whether they ran actually ran a DNA test, but I'm sure they did. And the prosecution, after presenting all of the overwhelming evidence, they were confident this is murder. The crime scene photos showed blood everywhere on the floor, on the wall, and blood even near the five-year-old boy's scooter. The prosecution described the murder as a frenzied attack, 
The prosecution was not under the impression that Carter went to the house with the intent to kill, but they argued that he formed the intent once he was at the house and he formed that intent after he began arguing with his ex-wife. But listen, by the time that the Crown rested their case, the defense had something huge up their sleeve. The defense called their best witness, the only surviving person who could explain what exactly happened at Renee's house that frightful evening around 8 p.m. on January 20th. They called their very own client, Christopher Carter. The jury heard Carter's testimony where he explained that he went over to Renee's house just to chat. He was there to chat about their two teenage children. He didn't know that Corey was going to be home, but you know what? He did suspect the young boy would be there. I mean, he's five years old. Where the heck else would he be? He got there. He chatted with Renee and a disagreement ensued, as they often do between exes. And Renee went into the home to check on the boy. And when she returned, Carter alleged she returned wielding a knife at him. In a recorded interview after the murders, Carter told police, quote, she was telling me that she was going to kill me, end quote. So he tackled her to the ground. In that moment, Carter did the only reasonable thing in his mind. He disarmed Renee and turned the blade on her. Now, mind you, Carter is a trained butcher. Well, then Corey appeared, probably after hearing a scuffle taking place between his wife and, his, and her ex-husband, and he attempted to intervene by punching Carter. So Carter turned the knife on Corey. But Carter described that he was only defending himself from Corey, a man who he had recently discovered was a registered child sex offender. <laughs> Say what now? Oh my goodness. Okay, let's stop right here and let's chat about this big old elephant in the room. Yeah, listen, when I was doing research into this case, I had no idea until I was reading about this case in the newspaper after the trial that he was a registered sex offender. Okay, so all homeboy Corey Croft had a bit of a rap sheet and not the kind where he shoplifted some Beats headphones from the mall. No, no, no. Not even the kind where he got into a brawl at a bar. No. He got himself into some hot, hot water for doing some filthy, filthy things. So listeners, beware. According to the Daily Mail Australia, back in 1995, Corey was caught after he videotaped himself sexually assaulting a five-year-old child. What? For this crime, he served but four and a half years in prison. After he was released from prison for the 1995 offense, he moved to Queensland where he would be in hot water yet again. Get this. In 2007, he was convicted for possessing, you guessed it, child pornography. For that offense, he would spend a year and four months in jail. Well, Carter made it clear while he testified that while he had recently been made aware of Corey's checkered past, he had also heard that Corey had recently, very recently, forced a 10-year-old girl to shower with him. Now, listen, even after Carter said he knew all this, 
Carter made it clear he did not go to the house to confront anyone about the pedophile living in the house. He was there to talk about his kids. Now, take that as you may. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. So let me take you back to the house on the night of the alleged murders. By this point, Carter had turned the knife on his ex-wife when Corey came to aid her. So Carter turned the knife on Corey, who had only punched him, and Carter stabbed Corey five times until he stopped resisting and fell to the ground. According to Carter, he stood up over Corey's bloody body, and when he turned around and looked, Renee was gone. He started walking towards the back of the house. Then, according to reporting by Andrew Kubaritis, Carter said that Renee came out of the blue and began to attack him. Carter said, quote, I was in a state of shock. I couldn't believe what happened. I stabbed her. I, I didn't mean to do it. I, I pushed her down off of me. The way she fell to the ground, it was essentially like she was unconscious. And I've seen a pool of blood was coming from her head, end quote. He also told the jury, quote, what I did was instinct. If I had more time to think about things, it might have gone differently. I ended up stabbing Renee with the knife again. I was in a state of self-preservation. I had no time to think about anything, end quote. Then Carter admitted to placing the knife in Renee's hand. He told the jury the only thing he was thinking when he actually placed the knife in her hand was, quote, it's your knife. You can have it back, end quote. Yikes. Now listen, that is cold-blooded. And in an even more shocking twist, Carter admitted to seeing the five-year-old little boy before he fled the scene. Carter admitted that he drove to the park, he got rid of the bloody clothes, and then he fled. You know, he thought about killing himself because he knew it would be no time until the cops came knocking. But for some reason or another, he didn't do it. But even in telling the jury that, he went on to say, quote, I knew at some point I was going to be charged, but the guilt I felt was for what was going to happen to my children. I didn't want them, meaning Renee and Corey, dead, end quote. 
Carter's barrister, David Bruntsman QC, a.k.a. his defense attorney, told the jury that what they heard during trial was not murder. It was not murder at all, but, quote, an unforeseeable event that was a result of years of tension and hostility between Carter and Renee, end quote. So with that, the jury retired to deliberate, where they spent an entire day combing through the evidence, reviewing pictures, and probably replaying Carter's statement to the police and his court testimony over and over and over again in their heads. They also had the fact that Corey was a known pedophile. Oh, and I forgot to tell you all this, but the defense was able to introduce evidence of Renee being an extreme alcoholic. So I don't know if they introduced this particular information to show that she had previously been drunk and maybe started fights in the past, you know, to kind of show that it's not uncommon for Renee to be the first aggressor. But the jury, you know, with that evidence, they had a lot to consider. They had two victims who weren't perfect, as is often the case. And while you should never blame a victim for their plight, sometimes when someone claims self-defense, character evidence that wouldn't normally come into trial gets to come in. But listen, I have to remember that this case happened in Australia and they likely have completely different laws than we do here. So don't take my word on it with with regards to that. Eventually, after deliberating for a full day, the jury would return their verdict. Tears of sadness for the moment filled the jurors' eyes. Regardless of their verdict, two people were dead and a young boy was forever traumatized. But, you know, they had a job to do. They had to consider the evidence. And with that, Carter, who had spent close to three years in jail by this point, was ready to hear the verdict. Of the two murder charges, the jury found Carter not guilty. I'm assuming that after the verdict, half of the courtroom was overjoyed. That's Carter's family. And the other half was devastated. How could someone take the stand and admit point blank? Yes, I did it. Yes, I stabbed those people 15 times. I put the knife back in the victim's hands. Yes, I threw my bloody clothes in the trash. Yet this jury let him walk out the door. It didn't make sense to the victim's families. But once the verdict was reached, there was nothing left for the crown to do. So they opened the doors to the courthouse and out walked Christopher Carter, a free man. Now, I'm not sure what to make of all the images that I've seen of Christopher walking out of the courtroom. I can't quite figure out if he's just a smug looking man, like he just has a permanent smug look on his face, or if his pursed lips are something else. I don't know. But I will say this. My perception of the images are that he's smug and proud of himself. But, you know, I hope that I'm that I'm wrong. Well, even though Carter walked free, someone who doesn't live free is that orphaned five-year-old little boy who is now in 2020, 10 years old. According to the British media source Mirror, the little boy now, he hates the color red he suffers from ADHD, he suffers from separation anxiety, and he has to see a psychologist on a regular basis due to the things he saw. And sadly, this young boy, 
he takes it upon himself to go window to window, door to door at his house every single night before he goes to sleep to ensure that they are all locked. How sad is that? Renee's mom, Joanne, was rightfully upset by the verdict. She was upset the evidence of her daughter's imperfect lifestyle was introduced at trial. And you know what? She was mad that evidence that Corey was a pedophile was also introduced. While she didn't defend the actions that caused Corey to become a convict, she felt that pedophiles don't deserve to be murdered. Now, I know that some people who follow this podcast may disagree, but I just wanted to put the information out there that that's what Miss Joanne said. After the trial, Renee's mom said she planned to take Renee's ashes and spread them near the Queensland's coast. It's a special place for that family. Of course, we will never know what happened in that house. We only heard one third of the story because the other two people, they were dead. They couldn't tell their version. Remember in episode six when I talked about the California acquittal and the UK acquittal love triangle cases? Well, those cases were so different from this one, right? Because the people who took the other's lives, they called the police instantly. Like the death occurred and the people called the police, but not in this case. Carter even admitted that he saw the five-year-old little boy before he left, but Carter left anyway. He didn't call the cops, he dumped evidence, and he basically waited for the police to come get him. So I open it up to you. Do you think the jury was not fond of the victims so they gave Carter a get-out-of-jail-free card? I don't know. So what do you think? Was justice served or not? Well, let me know by giving me a shout-out on social media on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast and on my Facebook page at Military True Crime. Also, I want to give a shout out to my Australian listeners. Just so you know, I am tracking that huge inquiry that was recently released on some of the Australian troops who are alleged to have killed innocent villagers while deployed to Afghanistan. Yikes! Sounds like a lot of people are in hot water and I can't wait to dig into that file, but it's like 400 pages. But for now, I'll leave you all with this sad story. For everyone who has been going above and beyond leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts and on my Facebook page, I just want to thank you so, so much. I want you all to know that I read every single one of them and I often share snapshots of those reviews on my Instagram page. So make sure that you're following me there so that you can see your shout out when I give it. And for those of you who can spare one minute today, if you haven't already, please make sure you leave five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really does help me grow the show and it's a great free way to support the show. All right, shout out to my newest dotted line show contributors, Jose D, Ron A, and Turquoise J. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with my newest assistant producers. Shout out to Gabe, Heather H, Carl P, and Melissa Z. And shout out to the show's executive producer, Falcon 13. And as always, the music on this show was created by TyOps. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week.
Podcast.